Hey guys, and welcome to the Family Business Indaba podcast. We are the voice of African family business, promoting generational wealth and generational legacies. And my name is Susan Tendi. And I am Nika Amani. And we're going to be taking you through the journey of African family business. Good afternoon, good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Africa Family Business Research Conference. This session will be joined by Miss Kelly and Miss Karina on a presentation on overcoming ownership challenges in family businesses, looking at evidence from female entrepreneurs in Africa. So welcome, ladies. Over to you. Thank you so much. Um, I will just share my screen. Perfect. Um, yeah, so, uh, good afternoon, good morning, good evening, wherever you may be. Uh, and we're very excited to, to be presenting this afternoon in, in our time. And we'll be looking at, um, female entrepreneurs in sub-Saharan Africa and the way that they are able to overcome challenges as they run their family, family businesses. And, uh, Karina and I, uh, will be presenting on behalf of a broader group. So you can see at the bottom of the slide there, uh, we're quite a diverse group and we're all, uh, all very passionate about the idea of uh, female entrepreneurs and, and their work in Africa, and particularly because we see that um, these, uh, sorry, there's a, a train going by, I hope it's not too noisy, but uh, the, the challenges that, that uh, entrepreneurs face in, in their family businesses across the continent are really linked to the sustainable development goals, so they're becoming increasingly uh, important, and we also understand that this is a wicked problem, so it's multifaceted, and there, there are many sort of areas to unpack, so uh, we're also really excited to get your feedback at the end of the presentation. Next slide. So basically what happened was um, as we as we were having our discussions as the group, uh, three things really drew our attention. So first of all, we understand that looking at the institutional context, uh, we're aware that this is very different in, in different environments, in different countries. And uh, we see that there's this uh, distinction between the informal and the formal institutions, which I'm sure you're all aware of. So the informal are the norms and values and uh, the customs and the sort of softer things that shape the way that, that people um, operate in a particular context. And then we have the formal institutions, which are much more um, around regulations and laws and the, the contracts and constitutions that make up a society. And then we had a look at the um, at the operating environment and the way that these informal institutions, for example, um, actually play out, so what they look like. And here we see the role of things like tradition, uh, people's reputation, the structure of the family, the role of patriarchy in, in a particular environment. And then we, we, we started thinking, obviously, also about the formal institutions, so the legal rights, how you, we've heard a lot about um, sort of the, the legal form around family business and should it be separate or not, um, and, and issues around inheritance rights. So trying to understand all of these issues and then we started thinking about female entrepreneurs as they're located in a family business, um, engaging in entrepreneurial activities um, and how, how the, the, yeah, really how the entrepreneur finds herself in a particular environment and navigates that environment. So our research problem is really just we know that, that uh, female entrepreneurs are engaged in these entrepreneurial activities in, in very male dominated sectors. Um, and we particularly in, in farming, for example, and there's a, a tension because they don't necessarily own the assets uh, that, that they manage. Uh, so we see that 
daily um, activities and decision making is really done by by the woman, but the control of the assets that is used uh, generally lies with men or with the family. So um, this kind of tension really um, intrigued us, and we we started to think about uh, what is it that drives women to act entrepreneurially despite the fact that they're in these so-called uh, disempowered situations where they, they don't necessarily control the assets. So that really uh, got our attention and, and we started to wonder sort of how these female entrepreneurs manage the challenges um, operating in their family businesses in sub-Saharan Africa. And then looking at, at uh, the theory, so we started to, to think about this idea of um, the psychological mechanisms that, that enable women to, to have the drive to continue with their, with their entrepreneurial activities. And so we turned to uh, the theory of psychological ownership. And uh, in organization studies, for example, this is a well-established theory, um, and it really just speaks to the way that people uh, make sense of their environment in terms of feeling as if they own a particular asset, even if they don't. So these these feelings of possession, um, despite the fact that, uh, legally speaking, uh, the woman may not actually um, own the asset under control. Um, and for us, it's the psychological ownership concept that, that women perceive that they own it, even if they don't legally. And this really drives their, their entrepreneurial behavior and gives them that um, uh, purpose in, in terms of moving forward in, in their daily uh, entrepreneurial activities. And then in terms of the methodology, so you can see here we have... Um, We've engaged in interviews in Kenya, South Africa, and Rwanda, and it's a really an exploratory study. We actually are still um, engaged in in the interviewing process, so we've we've conducted nineteen um, uh, interviews thus far with female entrepreneurs, specifically in the agricultural sector. So we've we've engaged in purposeful sampling to make sure that we we speak to these women who who um, are in these kinds of uh, family business situations where they don't necessarily own the assets. Um, and so we've we've had many meetings. When we have the interviews, we have it as a group. We discuss the findings afterwards. We're working through the transcriptions. Uh, so we really are trying to um, be very systematic and, and code out our data in a very inductive way um, as we move from the, the, the quotes and then trying to make sense of it through a theoretical lens. Uh, so I'll now turn to Karina, who will um, give us a little bit more in terms of the actual the actual findings. Yes, thanks very much, Kelly. And also good afternoon from my side. Uh, great that you're joining us. And we're very happy, or I'm also very happy to be able to present now our preliminary findings, I would call them. As uh, Kelly has just mentioned, we are still in the process of actually um, conducting our data collection. And therefore, this is how we got so far and we're still very open towards uh, refining and also changing some of the findings. Um, but what we found is that, as you remember, our research question was how those women manage um, these ownership challenges that they have. And we found that they engage in workaround practices to actually manage barriers that they face in the operating environment. So what we found is that there are several uh, workaround practices that the women engage into or the female entrepreneurs. And um, those are, for example, to minimize risk by for by focusing on short-term yields. Um, we conducted many interviews in the context of farming. So that was one of the aspects where they were mentioning that they focus on rather short-term crops um, to minimize risk of not owning or of having different decisions being taken by someone else. 
Um, also, another factor was making limits work. So working within the cultural expectations. So finding ways um, in that aspect, get the husband to communicate decisions, accept uh, that some decisions might not be taken by the female entrepreneur um, herself or um, act under the radar. And those two aspects to minimize risk and to make the limits work, we kind of structured into one aspect, which is working with the barriers. So if we talk about managing barriers, that would be to work with the barriers within the existing barriers. And then a second um, aspect or a second category that we found was working towards changing the barriers. So instead of just working within those barriers as they are, um, we also found evidence from our interviews that the female entrepreneurs build support systems of males and females um, in order to change the barriers. So finding males, be it the husband or also other men that support their goals in becoming uh, themselves entrepreneurs, then becoming also owners of the enterprise, and also to build supportive system of other female entrepreneurs, of other women that engage into uh, those aspects. So to have rather broader associations and organizations that can support also on a more institutional level. And um, in addition to those two findings, we also had a third uh, or one finding that we are currently thinking about. Kelly, could you just click the next slide? Perfect. <laughs> And so our further finding, which we are at the moment um, kind of digging deeper into, is about the advantage that might actually arise from being a female entrepreneur. Um, you've heard from us so far that they are thought to be in a disempowered situation. However, we also found evidence that actually their situation can be an advantage as well, especially when they deal with other global partners. So they um, mentioned to us that they perceive their situation as a competitive advantage um, to be a woman and to actually run a female enterprise that that might be of benefit or beneficial towards uh, engaging with others. And this is a very interesting dichotomy, as we thought, kind of the between the lack of the power or this disempowered situation, as it's called. And on the other hand, having actually more power, having the competitive advantage. And um, this is something that we are looking into right now in more detail to really figure out um, how this is playing out. We are thinking that this might be like a third category um, whereby women are playing outside of existing barriers so that this might fit into our framework in that way. And when we now come to our summary with regards to our implications and contributions, so we have those barriers that we identified within the operating um, or operational environment, both formal and informal, and those barriers require our female entrepreneurs to find ways um, to find work around practices to really engage successfully or also efficiently within businesses, within family businesses and to really run um, run and start businesses. And so those interactions and the workaround practices work kind of against those barriers, or as we mentioned, uh, they can either work within the barriers, but to find ways to work with the barriers, to find ways to manage them, to change the barriers, to change the boundaries, or even find new ways to, to work outside of the existing barriers. 
And so this is kind of our current status. We brought a few questions with us that we are currently dealing with. We thought that might give some idea or if anyone has some feedback on them, we are, of course, very happy. However, um, please also feel free to mention any other questions or comments that you're having. This is in no way restricted uh, towards those aspects. But what we were thinking about is that um, maybe some of you have some idea on some literature or some theories that will complement um, our current view of the topic and that fit better or maybe complement um, our psychological ownership point of view. And um, also to, to get some feedback on our preliminary results and um, on our methodology in case someone else has some experience with um, explorative interviews. If you have any experiences to share any best practices, then we're, of course, very happy. So thank you very much. <laughs> thank you, ladies. That was so, so insightful. Um, welcome, as um, Karina and Kelly have invited for um, question comments on um, their study. We have a question in the comments, um, in, the, in the chat box, rather. Um, how did you define ownership in your study? Um, yeah, I, I, Karina and I were actually chatting about this the other day because we had this question uh, somewhere else as well. Um, so one part is we we did, I think we did ask the, the respondents quite directly in terms of, you know, how how do you manage it? How do you feel about the organization or your business or your, your entrepreneurship uh, venture? Um, and then I think we will also, and Karina, please feel free to jump in, but we're also, we've been looking through that through the coding in terms of the, the the wording that people use and how they how they describe their relationship to the business and to the work that they do so um yeah and i think we probably will think about that a bit more in terms of how we operationalize it but it's really been sort of we've tried to ask for it directly and then we also try and look for it in in the in the transcripts as well we have another comment and question from el marie very very interesting and much needed study what in your opinion do you picked up did you pick up as are the most important operational barriers and what could emerge as possible solutions? Maybe I can start on that and then Kelly can add. So I think from from my point of view, from the interviews, what I picked was one uh, operational barrier was really the challenge to not have a midterm or long-term perspective um, because those female entrepreneurs were not able to, to do all the decisions on their own. Or it could be that someone else is taking a decision that is influencing their business and how they are currently running their business. Um, so for example, if they use part of the land, but the land does not officially belong to them, then maybe someone else decides, oh, from next week on, this land is needed for something else. And that made it kind of hard for the female entrepreneurs to really engage in long-term thinking and also in setting up a long-term and sustainable business in that way, rather than just doing something now. And then maybe the business is not uh, surviving. So I think that's, uh, that's from my perspective, the, the barrier that's most stuck in my mind i don't know if for kelly that's the same or maybe some something else yeah i think i think it is that that sort of the uncertainty around around you know what what the future looks like and i think maybe it's something that seems quite small is the the daily interactions and the way in which the entrepreneurs would say you know like how they hire would be very particular otherwise they'd have to deal with a lot of resistance just in dealing with their staff for example and need to to then think about how the the men that work for them see them and and really sort of manage that process and i think that that's quite a, a 
like a boring bureaucratic barrier, but uh, something that I think was quite important. Um, and I think the second part of the question was potential solutions. And there, I, I actually am not. I mean, we we see these workaround practices that that women have. So in one case, um, I think the, the the woman wanted to plant coffee, and her husband said that she wasn't allowed to, so she planted coffee, and then she planted maize around it so that he couldn't see. And in that case, after a bit of time, was able to prove the business case. So um, there are these sort of very small scale innovative solutions that people have, but on a larger scale, I don't know, Green, if you have um, any ideas there. But uh, no, I, I think that that that's hopefully something that we find some some more solutions to in our interviews as well, or maybe not like one size fits all solutions, but just ideas on what could work, or that ideas that might also inspire others in terms of how one could deal with the situation to then in the end find solutions in the long run. Excellent. Um, we have a question from Moses. What informed the choice of agriculture and not any other industry? I ask because generally farming is not viewed as a business in the African context. Um, yeah, I'll take a first stab at this. So I think this was actually quite an organic thing because uh, as I mentioned, we're part of this broader group and we had discussions with, with a woman who is involved uh, in the agricultural sector and, and then she was just telling us stories and, and about some of the other women that she'd worked with and that that's really what what drove our interest in it and maybe also sitting in Europe I think it, there is a lot of focus on female entrepreneurship or entrepreneurship in agriculture more generally so I think uh, yeah from from maybe a bit of distance the the the, the storyline um, is quite prominent around agriculture and the role of agriculture moving forward in terms of um, transforming economies but again Karina please feel free to correct me or um, maybe just say on that yeah it was uh, kind of based on case cases and stories that that we were hearing basically from from also Kenyan entrepreneur who told us about this and how some women engage in it and so we were struck by by this phenomenon and then thought that would be worth um, researching great um we have common question from Shelley very interesting thank you can you give us some insights into the demographics of your sample size of business etc do they have access to international markets to benefit from their competitive advantage yeah and again um I think it, it is quite broad and quite diverse um in terms of size for example uh and in terms of international access I think again certain respondents uh, did mention that that they have that which was the the third finding that that Karina mentioned which is how women feel that they're able to leverage their their international connections in terms of you know some kind of power or, or empowerment rather um which, which they don't have locally so um but it, it is quite diverse across the sample I don't have the numbers um offhand in terms of the you know who is operating internationally and not but um that's also something that we can we can dig out of the data and um Elmarie you've got your your hand up please yeah, um, I think perhaps it's something um, you can discuss during the panel discussion because I was quite shocked. Um, the, the remark that Moses made is a very interesting one to me. Last week, I was contacted by an economist and he asked me, what is the definition of a family farm? Because the, the international organization told him that, um, you know, most family farms in South Africa are not family farms, uh, according to their definition. And I said, it's absolute nonsense. 
nonsense. So it, it and now Moses make a similar comment that a farm is not a business. And um, I completely disagree with, with that because I, I was quite shocked that an economist asked me that. So there, there's definitely a perception. So perhaps that's something you we can discuss during the panel discussion because I, I you know, I have it, the majority of family farms in South Africa, at least, are family owned. And even the big corporates, you know, um, if I look at the definition, uh, Shelly and I always use for our research, if, if the family still have strategic control over the business, and in many cases, they own more than 50% of the business still, they can be a very large corporate farming um, operation and they're still a family-owned business. So uh, that might be an interesting discussion to have during the panel discussion because uh, it's now something that pops up here that I I thought it was a given, but it seems that it's not. Yes, I agree. Completely agree. Um, we have um, a couple more questions. Did you only look at one generation or are there two generations in your sample? What I actually mean by that is um, the ladies that you investigated was there for example a mother and daughter team or um, a father and daughter team so um, are they all one generation say first generation or second generation women or or, uh, did you experience in anybody in your sample uh, you know where more than one generation works together um, I'm trying to think again. I, I think that in generally it was, as far as I'm, I can remember, it was one, the respondent was doing it individually or independently. And then, but then the intergenerational thing would come in in terms of maybe, you know, she didn't own the land, but her husband's family would own the land. Um, and so then negotiating the generational differences in that way, but they weren't actively farming together or actively working in, in the, the agricultural endeavor, um, at the same time. But again, Karina, if you have any examples of other but I think as far as I recall it was it was just a single generation yes exactly single generation um, and as you mentioned sometimes the topic of um, other family members being involved in terms of kind of parents or um, parents of the husband or so so on came um, came up in the interviews because they of of course also shape kind of the surrounding of the participant but it was more of a i would say more of a contextual factor than that we researched um, those people themselves but maybe that would be interesting as well to consider what we thought as well as um, when we started doing our interviews and we did interviews with just so to say the female entrepreneur that um, it's also interesting to to do interviews as well with the husband and with the men involved to understand it in a better way um, so maybe that's something for us to think about if we broaden up a bit kind of the the people that we are talking to great um, a couple more questions um, have you considered using gender theories? I think not yet so far, but we would be very open if you have ideas on how to consider them. Um, I'm personally not yet the, the expert on gender studies and uh, more I'm more coming from the psychological field. That's probably why, why this theory spoke more to me. But um, we are very open, I think, to, towards other theories or ideas. And Kelly, if you have anything to add. Yeah, no, no. Um, I I, but I, it's it's actually interesting because this is also one of our 
questions that we had to everybody was, you know, what are the what are the theories should we should we be looking at, and is psychological ownership the best fit? Or so if anybody has any any comments or ideas as to what what would be a better fit or a different fit or, or useful, we, we really would appreciate. Thank you so much, ladies. Sorry, we're we're out of time. Um, we'll take. There's one more question which we'll we'll take on the panel discussion um, where we have more time later this this evening. If anyone would like to reach you, how best can they get in touch with you? Um, we did have our emails at the bottom of the presentation. I can maybe just copy them and pop them into the into the chat quickly, and then uh, we can we can share them there. Um, Great. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks to everyone, and also to to the comments and questions. Um, it's always very helpful to to get some other thoughts and also to think about other things than than the ones that are just in our heads. <laughs> thank, you. thank you so much. Well done. Thank you.